to the Workforce Connections podcast, where we discuss workforce development in Southern Nevada. Here's your host. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the WC podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, founder and CEO of Rise Up For You, Neta. How are you? Welcome. I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I, I think uh, we met just a few weeks ago at the Vegas Chamber. And uh, again, I'm really excited that our listeners, our viewers get to know more about you and Rise Up For You. So start by telling us where you were born, where you grew up, where you went to school, college, uh, and then also what brought you to Las Vegas? I love that. Great question. So I was born in Pennsylvania, actually, over by Hershey Park on the East Coast, but I spent most of my life on the West Coast here in California. So when I was five, I moved to California and I've been there in Southern California till about a year ago. That's when I moved to Vegas. And in California, I went to a high school called Centennial High. And then I went to Cal State Long Beach University for my undergraduate degree and San Diego State University and National University for my master's. That's awesome. I know that, again, the getting to know you that day, we met at the Vegas Chamber at their Workforce and Economic Development Committee meeting. Yes. And I could hear as you were participating in the conversation, you know, your, vo your voice was very loud representing the business community, employers, mm -hmm. small businesses. We here in our region, I think you'll find out more the more, you know, we work together as a local board. We're really trying to align our workforce development investments and strategies yes. to support our economic development strategies and helping small businesses grow and all that. So tell us, and I've heard you say it, but tell us why, in your opinion, why it's important that businesses, small businesses, representatives be shaping uh, this system that is workforce development. Yeah, it's it's really important. Um, I mean, we can talk about this for hours at a time, but when you think about it, the workforce, it's growing our economy, just like, you know, small businesses are growing our economy. But if our people and our, and our workforce aren't equipped to continue to change with time and artificial intelligence and all the navigation that's happening within companies and corporations, we won't be able to continue to grow the economy because we will get stifled. So I see organizations and businesses just like an individual, right? If you have an individual that has one set of skills, but they're not continuing to grow, you know, the soft skills that we'll talk a little bit later about, at some point they're going to cap, which means that they're no longer going to grow. And when you don't grow, then you stop contributing. Businesses are the same way. So if we're not teaching our workforce to continue to build these skills and be competitive, at some point, the small business and the organization is also going to cap. It's going to stop growing and it's going to stop contributing to the economy. And unfortunately, that's what we see with some businesses is after five years, they collapse, right? They no longer exist. And then that's jobs that go away, right? That's, that's the economy that struggles. And so it's really important that we understand that the workforce is made up of people and we have to continuously be pouring into them so that the economy and businesses and organizations can grow. Yeah, I love that. Again, when I met you, uh, uh, hearing you frame it that way, that the product we produce uh, in this system, the talent development system, is, as you said, the worker. Uh, the the employer is the customer, if you will, because they're the one creating jobs, yes. uh, creating the demand for skilled workers. And as we produce these workers, one of the things we're focusing on is that it doesn't start at in the 20s or even the teens. The talent system starts in the K through 12 as early as possible. And yes. I remember having this really great dialogue with you about how our new culture of, you know, interacting with devices is changing the way young children grow up and different than how we grew up. And, and that dictates how they behave at work. 
And so a lot is changing. I also loved how we talked, we ended up talking about chat GPT and the impacts yeah. of that stuff. But <laughs> in your book, Rise Out For You, Closing the Gap Between You and Your Potential, you highlight the importance of fusing education, empowerment, and leadership. So you also say that we need to make sure that everybody reaches their full potential for the reasons you explain uh, later. I love how you when you say the world needs us at our best, right? And so it's a pretty high concept. It's like saying let's solve uh, world hunger, but I know that it has to happen step by step. So tell us a, a little bit about how do you see that vision happening? Break down for us. What do you mean when you say the world needs us at our best and how do we get there? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and it is a big mission. <laughs> and I know that. Let me take it back to what you said about education, empowerment, and leadership. Let's start there. I firmly believe that every individual and every organization need to be in those three pillars. Okay. So every individual and organization, there needs to be an educational element. I'm learning the right skills. I'm learning the technical skills. I'm learning the soft skills. Both of them are equally important. And we can no longer live in a world where the technical skills are, tr are at the top because we just don't live in that world anymore. There's constant shift happening and the soft skills are going to help us continue to adapt and be agile. So that education part is very important. But you and I know that education is not enough because you can have all the degrees in the world. You can have all the technical skills in the world. But if you don't have the empowerment piece, the self-empowerment and the self-confidence and the emotional intelligence to have positive behaviors, to have time management, to have self-confidence, to take action, then that education isn't going to go very far. So that's why that self-empowerment piece is critical so that your skills are put to good use and they're consistently put to good use. And that third pillar is a leadership because we all exist in a world where we're influencing and impacting one another. We can't get away from it. You know, I always laugh when people say, I'm not a leader. I'm like, are you around people? You're leading then, right? Even when you walk into a grocery store, you're making an influence and an impact. And so it's really taking that education, that self-empowerment, and now using it to lead the best that you can, whether it's in your household, in your community, and in your workforce. And that's really what potential is about. Potential isn't reaching your full potential because what does that mean? What does full potential mean? But I like to think of an individual like a plant. You have to keep watering the plant so that it can continue to grow and to live, so that it can continue to flourish. And if we don't, then again, it's going to go back to where we cap ourselves as individuals and really pushing yourself in your potential, not just in your work, but also in communication and conversations and things that feel uncomfortable so that you can continue to grow. And when you have the capacity to grow, then you have the capacity to contribute. And that's really important, especially in our workforce. And so if everybody gets there, that's what you mean by we're at our best. The world needs that. That's how we move forward. That's how we... Uh yeah, because when you're pushing your potential and you feel like you're getting to your best, right, or, or growing as your best, you now open up the capacity to serve others. But unfortunately, you know, sometimes I see this a lot with clients as well and with the workforce. We're in a world where a lot of us don't even have the capacity to think outside of ourselves, right? There's burnout, there's stress management, there's a lack of alignment with what they want in their life in the workforce. They get into the workforce, they don't know what to do, how to do, how to communicate with their leaders. And then there's all these internal struggles that happen and then organizational struggles exist because of that, right? So you don't have the capacity to lead effectively. You don't have the capacity to walk into your leader's office and say, I have have some great ideas I want to share with you that might be a game changer for this company because mm -hmm. you're just trying to survive up here. 
Yep, that makes sense. Uh, again, we talked about how artificial intelligence, chat GPT and other things are really uh, have the potential to revolutionize the workplace and how we live. Uh, we've seen, again, how the world changes around mobility and um, phones and technology, but still emotional intelligence. Uh, and you got me when you told me that when we met is a pivotal piece of the workplace, you know? And so, and again, it's in your book. I know it's part of what you employers uh, hire you to do to help them with emotional intelligence in the workplace. But tell us a little bit about why you're so passionate about emotional intelligence in the workplace. Yeah. And it's interesting because I have been passionate for a long time. I just didn't know what it was called, but I think I mentioned to you prior that, you know, I was an executive before I built my own company and I was a professor at the same time simultaneously. And I was seeing over time that technology was increasing, right? Tools were getting better, but we weren't counterbalancing it with the human skills, right? And emotional intelligence is a human skill. So people were building all of these skills, artificial intelligence is coming full force, but the gap between artificial intelligence and technology and human capability is getting wider and wider and wider. And I saw this as an executive with professionals that had PhDs and master's degrees. And then in the evening, I would go to the college and teach and every single year, the next generation would come in. They would be genius when it comes to technology, but they couldn't stand up and say their name. They couldn't you know, raise their hand and ask a question because they were scared they were going to be made fun of. So it is pivotal that, especially with the way the world is going with technology, we have to balance them with the soft skills and emotional intelligence is the most important. And the reason why I say that, and I can do a whole training right now, but you know, emotional intelligence is very, very misunderstood. I mean, when I ask people what emotional intelligence is, they say, well, you know, you feel your emotions and then you're aware of other emotions. But actually, there's 18 pillars that fall under emotional intelligence. And every single challenge that's happening today in the workforce that's in regard to people falls under it. We're talking empathy, active listening, coaching your team, conflict resolution, diversity, equity, and inclusion, social awareness, public speaking and presenting, internal motivation, self-confidence, stress management. I mean, I can go on. Mm -hmm. It all is a part of emotional intelligence. So when individuals and companies come to me and they say, you know, our team is stressed, uh, we need to teach them how to manage burnout. I say, well, that's emotional intelligence. And if we want to teach them stress management, we have to teach them emotional intelligence from the beginning, understanding why am I stressed? What am I feeling? Do I even know what I'm feeling so that I can truly solve the problem and create sustainability? And that's why emotional intelligence is so important because it really is the full gamut of understanding self-awareness, understanding how to manage myself, but then also being able to understand how can I be a great listener for you? How do I show up in a room? right? How do I read a room? Situational awareness. How do I lead my team, especially remotely? How do I coach? How do I model? How do I resolve this conflict and de-escalate the communication that's happening right now in a Zoom room or with my team in an office? All of those things, when you think about it, are part of the workforce. And the interesting thing, Jaime, is, is that they just released a new article, Harvard Business Review, that 93% of leaders believe that emotional intelligence is like a top skill that people need. Only 22% of companies around the world actually invest in it and put forth the investment to grow their team. That's a big disconnect. So that's why I'm a huge fan. And I'm speaking as a business owner. I'm a business owner. I like 
key performance indicators. I like financial growth, right? From that point of view. So I get the business side of things because I run a business, but I also understand that if we're not careful, our business is not going to be sustainable and it's not going to be a positive culture if we really don't get our people to get on the same page and to continue to pour into them and grow them. Yeah. And, and again, if people, employers like me, like those listening to us want to connect with you, we're going to put the website here on the screen, but it's riseupforyou.com. Yeah. yeah. And they can see, uh, again, the many ways that, that you can help them in, in that website. Now, you've uh, one of the things that I think helps people with understanding diversity is actually seeing it firsthand. And, and I've uh, had the fortune when I was a young man, I was a merchant marine. So I got to travel the world as I went to college. And most recently, my, my latest memorable trip was to Russia in 2018 for the FIFA World oh, Cup. Nice. And so I really value that, that your eyes uh, teach you and experiences teach you how to really appreciate diversity. So I know you have traveled the world, Russia, Thailand, Japan, and many other places. How have those travels shaped you? And again, this work that you've been sharing with us. Yeah, it's been invaluable. I would say that uh, my first career, I was a performer. Uh, being a performer and then traveling the world as a performer really, I would say, prepared me and shaped me for who I am today with the work that I'm doing with Rise Up For You. Because when you think about it as a performer, you have to be engaging. Every audience is completely different. And a great performer, just like a great leader, they adjust in the moment, right? When you're on stage and you see that, people aren't smiling or they're not laughing, or maybe they pick up their water too many times because they're bored. A great performer is going to do something to engage them and to make sure that they are actively paying attention. No different than a leader. When a leader's in a meeting, if you see that your team is checking out or they're not with you, a great leader pivots so that they can get the team re-engaged so that they're communicating effectively. And I really learned all of that while I was on stage on top of the fact that I was in Russia, as you mentioned, Gibraltar, Spain, Japan, Germany, Lithuania, Latvia, all over the world where they didn't understand English. And so now it's a whole new element of how can I communicate to you how I feel? Uh, how can I communicate to you the needs? Because for many tours that I was on, not only was I a performer, but I was also the tour manager. So I was managing the tour and performing. There are a multitude of times in Russia, I can remember, where we had to get on the Trans-Siberian train and we had to get off every two hours, right? And no one spoke English. Mm -hmm. So understanding, how do I look you in the eye? How do I communicate? How do I adjust my body communication according to what I'm feeling in this moment? And also, as you mentioned, understanding different cultures, right? Not believing everything that you hear and see, but experiencing it yourself really creates a different level of acceptance, tolerance, and understanding. And I could tell you right now, some of the countries I went to with pre-thoughts, pre they were crushed right away when I got there. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the important thing that we uh, probably grow up uh, with assumptions because we're we only know what we hear about and see on TV, but yeah, definitely. Uh, I love experiencing the people of these places. Like I know you do, and I think it changes you for the better. Changes you. Uh, so tell us, we've teased it twice already. I think it's organically work. I'm going to ask you, uh, tell us a little bit more about the type of performer you were. Give us some more details about that, that previous chapter of your life. Yeah, it's great. So I was a part of an amazing performing arts organization and what I really loved about it is that when we were performing and I did predominantly musical theater, you know, Motown, that kind of stuff, Broadway style stuff, 
when we were performing and we were traveling around the world, not only were we doing shows professionally, but on our downtime, we were teaching people in the community. Okay. So it was half professional performing and half, you know, we're not doing a show today. Let's teach the kids in the community. Uh, let's teach adults in the community. And we would teach them confidence and empowerment through art, through singing, wow. through dancing. Because when you think about it, getting up and standing in front of your audience and singing, improvisation, those are hard skills, yeah. right? You got to get out of your, mm. your comfort skill. So it was fabulous. I did a lot of musical theater, a lot of Broadway, as I mentioned. But the coolest part is, again, when we weren't on stage, going to Germany in jails with young men and women that committed murder and teaching them about singing and dancing and watching them light up, showing them that there's more than the four walls of their cell. Same thing in Orange County, walking into juvenile institutes and teaching kids that um, you can have self-confidence, just stand up straight, sing a song, even if it doesn't sound good to you, right? And teaching them these elements. You know, you've accomplished a lot in your life, uh, successful performer, and you can tell when you talk about it that it fed you, it shaped you, it fulfilled you, and then you worked for somebody else, as you said before, you started your own company, and now you're the founder and CEO of a company. Uh, what would you tell, and you probably have so much still to accomplish in your life, Thank you. so um, what would you tell young girls uh, or the mothers, fathers of young girls that are listening, watching us, how do uh, they route and direct and guide their child so they can become the next Netta? It's a great question. Thank you. No one's ever said the next Netta. Thank you. Um, honestly, and I, ha and I still have this conversation today with even with adults, but I would say the best thing young women and even young men can learn is to have self-confidence first so that they have the courage to do the things that feel good for them. And when you have self-confidence and you believe in yourself, then you stop chasing and doing things because other people validate you or because social media tells you to do it or because the next TikTok influencer is doing it, right? So having the self-confidence to love yourself, to have your own validation so that you have the courage to do things that are good for you. So my entire life, I've followed my own drum, the own beat, right? My own mm -hmm. beat of the drum. So I said, you know, I was a 4.17 GPA student, right? In APA classes. And I said, I'm going to go do music first. Mm -hmm. And my dad, he's from a third world country said, what, <laughs> what are you going to do? You're going to go be a doctor. So no, I, I, I feel like this is my right path. Mm. And, and I did. And thankfully I was successful at it. But what I see today, especially amongst our youth is that they don't have the self-confidence and they don't believe in themselves. In fact, when I was a professor, I asked the freshman class in 2019, right before COVID hit, what they thought about themselves, 87% said they felt less than their peers, 87%. Alarming. And when I asked them if they were confident in their ability, 85% said no. That's a problem. Wow. And that's the iGen, yep. right? Today, that's the iGen. Now, I only see it getting worse with the alpha generation. The alpha generation is one step under the iGen that not a lot of people are talking about mm -hmm. yet. Okay. That's a problem. And so again, when you don't have that self-confidence, you're constantly going to chase things that really aren't a great fit for you because you see it on social media or you see it on a TikTok. And then you're going to spend your whole life following something that's not going to work for you. 
And I think that's the lesson I took away when I met you, that we have to be, as employers, leaders, community members, educators, we have to be more intentional about re-injecting emotional intelligence into the learning process because technology has been great for us. As you said, children have grown up now for a while, babysat by iPads and tablets, and and so it's taking something away that you and I had when we grew up. And since we can't change technology, we're going to have to just, again, be purposeful and re-inject, reintroduce, making sure that we're equipping this generation with the emotional intelligence they need. 100%. And we shouldn't change technology because technology does amazing things. I'm actually very excited about artificial intelligence and where it's going. And although a lot of people are scared about it, I'm excited about it. But if we're not careful and we don't have those soft skills go side by side that we need to infuse in the education level all the way up to corporate level intentionally, like you said, sustainably and consistently. And 10 years from now, we're going to be in trouble because yeah. the gap is only going to widen. And then we're going to have a, we're going to have a workforce of people that only know technical skills that don't know how to communicate that don't know how to manage their stress, that don't know how to pivot and be agile when in 20 years from now, there's all new automations that you have to learn, right? That's part of emotional intelligence is that growth mindset and shifting. We're going to be in trouble if we're not careful. Yep. And so I've enjoyed, uh, again, um, talking to you both uh, here and offline. Uh, I look forward to collaborations that we will have in the future as I uh, and others hopefully uh, become more intentional. And again, we're going to leave here on the screen, riseupforyou.com, so that people can learn more about uh, the importance of having uh, a per, uh, an intentional strategy, if you will, and the resources like you that are out there that can help employers. We're, we're busy already doing so many other things. Having uh, help in that regard is good. And so again, we'll leave the, the website here. And I want to thank you, Netta, for thank coming you. here and being with us today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Great conversation. We look forward to having you back. Thank you. All right. Well, that's it for another episode of the WC Podcast. We hope to see you in a future one. Until then, stay safe.